0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Elon NBA Show. I'm your host Jack Bransky. Join you as I do every Monday night, and tonight we're gonna get into a lot of good stuff. We got Harrison Barnes is rejuvenated; he looks great again. We've got some Bulls talk, the Patrick Williams injury update. We have some more Lakers talk. What? Because it wouldn't be a podcast without more Lakers talk. We have the bright future Wizards, or the bright now Wizards. And we have some Miami Heat talk. To close it out, we will be talking about Jaron Jackson Jr. versus Evan Mobley and the comps that uh, Mobley has started to receive to players like Garnett and just a lot of other really talented bigs in the past couple days because of his outstanding start to the season. So, yeah. Yeah. Let's just get right into it with the Harrison Barnes show. So uh, one of the reasons that I I was not high on the Kings, actually, uh, I really wasn't thinking about Harrison Barnes, to be quite honest to me, and he was more or less of an afterthought for me. Um, you know uh, – He's in the eleventh year of his career. Uh, i never really thought, hey, like Harrison Barnes is going to be what puts the Kings over the edge this year and maybe gets them to that playoff push. But as of now, it really looks like uh, that's the direction we may actually be headed for. So he's uh, shooting nine threes a game right now, which is um, just ridiculous for someone like him. And I mean, Barnes has received uh, I would I would call it uh, probably an unfair amount of slander uh, since he was traded, uh, or excuse me, since the 2016 finals. So uh, he's become an easy target for everyone since since then. Uh, but after he landed in Sacramento in February 2019, uh, before the trade deadline, I mean, he's been a great wing. I mean, he was awesome as kind of a secondary player. Uh, last year, he averaged 16.1 points per game, 6.6 rebounds, three and a half assists on Career high, sixty-two point six percent true shooting, and he had a 50-39-83 split, which is really good for a player of his caliber and uh, at his stage in his career. But I mean, his pass assist rate went up to thirteen percent, or it grew thirteen percent. Um, you know, and he's just he looked he's looked really solid for the Kings so far. I mean, their lineup of um, just when you throw Mitchell and Fox and Halliburton out there, you really have a really solid lineup and you have Barnes that you can put in anyways if you look at where uh, Barnes was just last year not even at the in the previous stage of his career I mean obviously he had the stin in Dallas and then Golden State as well uh, which is where majority of his criticism goes for those 2016 finals but I mean he is playing a significant amount of his minutes at the four uh, so he's playing 98 percent of his minutes are the four this year which is a big jump from 66% in 2020 to 21, which was the previous high watermark for his career. But even if you look at his shots now, I mean, he ranked fourth in shots a season ago in Sacramento where he was at 11.1, and now he's averaging 17.5 attempts per game, which is just slightly behind De'Aaron Fox. So another thing I want to talk about with the Kings is how does Fox look? So they're off to a three and three start, Um, you know, no I mean you 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 know you you lose to the Warriors you know you drop a couple ones you probably could have won I mean you beat the Blazers to open up the season I mean you're in a good trajectory I mean you you have the you have a lot of young talent uh you obviously hope Bagley can grow you look at Halliburton he's off to a rough start kind of I mean Fox looks all right as well I think the stats are a little deceiving I think um the stats really do make Fox look better than he actually is because if you actually watch the games, um, he's really forcing a lot of passes and the ball movement. It could be so much better. When I think if you just let Halliburton run the show, which you know even then like he still hasn't been that good this season. But uh, I I like the direction they're headed in and uh, a really good auxiliary piece for them is going to be that Harrison Barnes. Can he uh, keep knocking down threes like this? Now uh, history would probably say no. He, he's probably not going to do that, but you know they they've got some potential i mean if you, we keep looking at barnes's number i mean he's got 41 percent at rim ability to finish which is not bad uh for someone of him of his uh caliber i mean but he is just so much more in control with the ball now than he used to be but I, i'm guessing he's not going to keep on knocking down 51 and a half percent of his threes this year um but and he's not probably not going to shoot as well from inside the arc as he has so far but uh it's sustainable he has a great jumper i mean he's he's obviously taking a greater volume of threes than he has uh previously which is good you want to see that you want to see that from players especially if they're making them and then uh he he's he just looks so much more steady with the ball than he has in previous years and these are all aspects that you can kind of just relate uh just kind of from growing and uh being a player i mean you obviously don't see kind of strides taken like this in what's Harrison Barnes' eleventh year of his career. You don't see that very often, uh, this late in the twilight of someone like Barnes's career. Um, but I I like what the Kings are doing. Um, Harrison Barnes, I mean, obviously that he, he had that um buzzer beater against Phoenix last week, uh third buzzer beater in his career. So you know you're doing something right if you're hitting buzzer beaters but i love the fact that you know you run him off a pin action and i mean and he's just draining a three and he's taking the shot over a guy like fox or Halliburton or mitchell or buddy Heald, who's one of the most prolific three-point shooters we've ever seen but yeah uh we're gonna take a quick break then we're gonna get to the bulls so i honestly wish that i could know more about this patrick williams situation but it was very um very nonchalant. I didn't really hear about anything once it uh, first was diagnosed that his wrist may have been hurt. But before we get to that, I just want to talk a little bit about the Lonzo thing. So, yeah, Lonzo with three for eighty-five, which is a great deal uh, for someone of his talent and his improvement. I mean, it's looked for real. I mean, if you look at this to not just his shooting improvement, but his like his percentages. I mean. They're they're for real. I mean, it, you just look at like compared to the bubble, what, how he shot in the bubble, how he reverted back to that elbow out kind of jumper. Uh, you just it makes you wonder so much. Why would David Griffin let this guy walk? I mean, right now he's shooting thirty five percent from three on seven attempts per game. He's averaging twelve point three points per game, five point seven assists per game, and uh, four and a half rebounds per game. So. I mean, you really, he's really doing something special right now. I mean, but it just, it, it, it makes me wonder so much when a guy like Zion and BI, they both say like incredible things about this guy. Like, don't let him walk. Like he is essential to our success or like, why would you, why would David Griffin do this? I mean, it's a, a top five David Griffin move and you know, you can question or top five dumb David Griffin move, but you can question, uh, like whether or not it tampered with the NBA free agency guidelines continuum as the deal kind of got done right as the free agency clock started and then the league said they were going to investigate into it. Nothing ever happened. And, I mean, these there were Lonzo to Chicago trade rumors for, I want to say, 18-plus months. I mean, this was not something that uh, hadn't been in the works, but, I mean, they could have locked him up and they could have had that three three-man core of, uh, zo bi and zion but uh, they didn't do it but he looks really great for chicago i mean his defense has been astounding his passing i mean when you've got guys like levine and uh caruso throwing down dunks like that i mean it's it's a special thing to watch i mean the chicago bulls are fun they're they're five and one i mean they are they can shoot the absolute heck out of the ball uh but Now moving on to something that's gonna be detrimental to the Bulls uh, down the road, whether uh, we see uh, what they look like is uh, the Patrick Williams injury. So he's out for the year with a left wrist dislocation. So he already had surgery on it once, but uh, I'm just gonna read the little transcript. So Williams fell hard uh, in the third quarter after a dunk attempt, which was ruled a flagrant one foul against uh, Mitchell Robinson for the Knicks. After Winston on the ground and pain for a bit, Williams went straight to the locker room and was ruled out for the remainder of the game. Uh, and you fast forward to Friday afternoon and Williams is expected to miss the rest of the season with a dislocated wrist, but there's optimism that he could return for the playoffs. So Patrick Williams, what he provides for the Bulls is to play that small ball five role when the Vucevic thing isn't working, which I think there are going to be times when Vucevic is getting cooked and... They were really relying on Patrick Williams to step in and be this guy that they drafted. I mean, obviously a guy who only took 18 dribble pull-up jumpers at Florida State, uh, and he's already taken so much more. I mean, he's taking 61 his senior season at Florida State compared to the 18 his junior year, which is outrageous. I mean, his improvement looks so much better. I mean, so much more fluid. I mean, he obviously he has that hitchback on the top of his head where it's kind of, it's kind of bird. It's kind of bird-esque the way he shoots it, kind of over his head. It, it looks a little better. He's gotten in the gym with his trainers, but that's not what we're asking Patrick Williams to do. What we're asking Patrick Williams to do is provide defense. And obviously, that's a little hard when uh, you have a dislocated wrist that you've already had surgery on. So we'll see what happens there. But the depth gets real slim real fast for that Chicago team. Um, you just go down the line, you're going to slide Javante Green in the starting lineup, who's actually been pretty solid. So I can't argue that. But if I'm going through the rest of the forwards uh, and kind of centers type of thing, you got Tony Bradley, you got Javante Green, Alizé Johnson, Derek Jones Jr., Troy Brown Jr. Um, I mean, all, I mean, Alizé is more of a point one or two, but they're all solid. I mean, but there's nobody who I trust to play in the playoffs that's going to get a stop and going to make sense for a real playoff team. So uh, I was really hoping to see Patrick Williams kind of take the leap. I think that's not – what the season was going to be about for Patrick Williams wasn't going to be so much of can he be this offensive motor. Uh, Sure, maybe he makes improvement on his off-ball cuts, but what we were really asking Patrick Williams to do was – can you play defense in a system uh, like an NBA fantasy team that we've kind of constructed here in Chicago? Uh, can you be this like kind of glue guy, be this X factor that we need? And it's really unfortunate that we're probably not going to get to see him for the rest of the season unless the Bulls make a late-season playoff push. So the Lakers, for the first time uh, last night, we saw Anthony Davis start the center position as Dwight Howard was out. Um, because of injury. So uh, they played the Rockets last night. Um, it was quite the abysmal offensive performance from the Lakers. But I think what people get caught up in sometimes that really frustrates me and a lot of other people in this field is that this game that, that the players play, that the managers play, it's not about collecting talent or names no one gives a crap about combined all-star appearances, okay? Like, that's great that, like, the Lakers have, like, what? Probably, like, 52 combined all-star appearances. It doesn't mean anything if you're not winning games, does it? I mean, people were all over the Nets about this last year. I want to say it was, like, 36 combined all-star appearances once they signed, like, LaMarcus and Blake. But, like, Nobody cared. Like, what? What does it mean? Like, it doesn't mean anything. That's why I'm so like frustrated. With yeah, it's great. Yeah, you got Rondo. Yeah, you got Dwight. Yeah, you got DJ, uh and you got Russ. But like, you know, Russ is obviously still kind of in, uh what some would consider to be the the apex. So, I mean, maybe he's on the decline of his career, but he's still in much better shape than those guys. And I think it's ridiculous to say that they're on the same tier as them. I mean, any guys like Carmelo Anthony too, but uh you, you only score 95 points against a really crappy rockets defense which is why i get off on this tangent about it because i mean are you serious like there i think the rockets have to be like maybe like 28th or 29th in defense they cannot be a lot higher than that because that team like i'm so when alpern sengun is trying to defend a pick and roll like it's it's a little it's a little hard to watch i mean he's all right but you know you know what I mean? Like Jalen green and Kevin Porter jr. I mean, guys are kind of going to go at them on when they're picking on defense. And I love Jay Sean Tate and I love, uh, I love Daniel Tice, but buddy's going to get his ass pounded in the pain every single time. So, you know, they're ninth. So the Lakers, they're ninth in offense right now. They're 18th in defense. Um, and like I said, the points so far that I've seen, it's, it's kind of hard to come by. Uh, so, What Melo, Carmelo Anthony, is doing right now is um, it's not sustainable. So, right now, he's playing 27 minutes per game. He's averaging 18.2 points per game on 41% from the field goal, 39% from three, on 15.8 field goal attempts, six three point attempts, and 2.8 three point makes per game. And um, if he continues to shoot the ball at 39% from three, there was, uh, for the first week of the season, he was shooting the. At well, 67% from three. And um, some people uh, thought that that was a sustainable clip, but uh, 67% from three, that's, um, I don't know, it is not. Uh, anyways, but that would be his best season since the 2013 Knicks. And I, I, he's just not at that stage of his career anymore where he can be a versatile guy defensively and then do it on offense. So, I mean, it's a great story. Uh, I love Carmelo. I, He've been a big fan of his for a while. I loved watching him in Portland. I mean, but he was a guy that, like, two or three years ago, Houston said, "Like, I'm sorry, man. Like, we're not we're not paying you to play anymore. Like, I don't want to have this on my team. I don't. We're we're a playoff contender. Like, get out of here." And I mean, nobody wanted this guy. And I mean, he can still hoop. I'm not saying that he can't, but we know what the Carmelo Anthony situation is going to be come playoff time because if there's a reliable like efficient pick and roll ball handler on the opposing team that the Lakers are matched up against you know what's going to happen like he is going to get picked on and he's going to get cut apart and it's it's going to be really ugly and that's it's sad but it's just the reality and i mean the Lakers, they're 29th in opponent free throw rate, uh, 29th in defensive rebounding, which makes me wonder, how How are you 29th in defensive rebounding? How? Oh, there's a reason Anthony Davis doesn't want to play the five. There's a reason for that. You want to save him for the playoffs because a dominant Anthony Davis is something that is just chaotic thing to deal with there there's nothing you can do when he's making that 18 17 foot jumper and then i mean he can obviously hit the threes but i mean ad just needs to be more aggressive but i I don't want him to be more aggressive if he's going to get hurt and then because he is essentially like he he has had a bad injuries history We, we know this um but you know you have 94 minutes of lebron ad and russ all together on the court uh and in those times that they are together on the court, um, they are plus zero in the minutes that they have played together. So they're plus zero. Keep that in mind. Uh, so I, I'd, I'd like it uh, when I'm watching. I I like the spread pick and roll when you have LeBron and AD and, you know, you have shooters, you have Monk, you have Melo. Uh, then you have, I don't know, let's just throw in Kent Bazemore, or Avery Bradley there. That makes sense, right? I mean, maybe – Yeah, you'd want something a little more reliable than Avery Bradley, but uh, you work with what you have. But when you add Russ to this situation, when he doesn't have the ball, when LeBron is going to be handling a majority of these pick and roll possessions, how does that work? Well, we saw it. So I saw LeBron and AD spread pick and roll, gets it to AD, AD kicks it to Russ. Russ is open for three in the corner. He doesn't take it, the play fizzles out. So uh, it just, it's kind of ugly to watch sometimes. And i i i think i've been pretty vocal with my uh with my concerns about the lakers i think that they still have lots of talent otherwise but uh i mean they're second in pace right now uh you know you like you like to see that i mean when you have a russell westbrook on your team you know you're going to be flying down the court and uh we've seen this a little bit that uh when russ is kind of giving the keys to the car he's kind of going to do whatever he wants and he's going to shoot the ball a hundred million times and he's not going to have to defer to LeBron as much. Um, so in those situations, that's nice. I think uh, a lot of what's going to happen during the season is um, we're going to see a lot of staggered minutes, uh, especially during the playoffs. We're going to see a lot of staggered minutes from those guys uh, it just makes a little more sense. But another thing I would want is uh, can Russ set off the ball screens? So he may not like it, but that may be what's best. So I mean, he only set, set he set seven last night, but he's only set two for the rest of the season. And you know, Lakers won ninety five eighty five last night. Uh, wasn't a pretty win, but it was a win by all means. But it was against a abysmal Houston team that has horrible defense. Uh, and you're relying on guys like uh, Austin Reeves, aka Hillbilly Kobe, to be this uh, to be this starter, to be this guy, not starter, but he's going to be seventh eighth man off the bench, and you're relying on him to, to be like a uh, part of your team. And now, like I said, this team has its issues. So, and it's a LeBron team and it has 2018 Cavaliers vibes. So I don't think uh, this team is fully complete yet. And by that, I mean that I think there's definitely going to be some trades to come within the near future, uh, by the trade deadline, at least, um, we're going to see this team very shuffled around. I would think that, um, the only intangibles that the Lakers are definitely going to hold on to are LeBron and Davis. I wouldn't rule out a Westbrook trade. I mean, I'm not really sure what team in the league right now would uh, want to have Russell Westbrook, but there are always teams out there who uh, there's always a trade that is unexpected and just happens. So it could very well happen. But Lakers are four and three. They're six in the West right now. Um, you know, had a rough stretch to begin, but they seem to be getting on the right track. Uh, they're a lot of the season is going to be meant for experimenting. How can we do this uh, Dwight uh, DJ type of thing? And then, you know, obviously incorporate Anthony Davis at the five. But you want to rest him enough. And then uh, there's going to be a lot of reshuffling the deck with just their auxiliary pieces uh, like the Bradleys of the world, like the, uh, you know, the Mellows of the world. I mean, I think he'll stay on the roster just because he's LeBron's buddy, but uh, there's definitely going to be a lot of change uh, come – trade deadline time for this team. And uh, I would bet some good money on that. So the Washington Wizards, uh, for, they are five and one to start out the season for the third time in franchise history. So we're recording this on Monday night. Uh, they're playing the Hawks right now. I checked in on the third quarter. Uh, they're down 10. Could very easily come back, but the Hawks, not a bad loss by any means. But uh, the Wizards, so they're, 13th in offense, ninth in defense, and obviously we just talked about the Lakers, so we get to talk a little bit about the opposite side of the rush trade, um, kind of how it's affecting it, because uh, right now the Lakers seem like they could use a Kuzma or a KCP, but anyways, the Wizards are 13th in offense right now, they're ninth in defense, Uh, they're giving up the fewest threes in the league, they're third in defensive rebounding, and and, um, they have uh, all good wins, I mean, there's no, uh, they had, obviously... Uh, they had a loss to Brooklyn, but that's not a bad loss. But, uh, I mean, they've been missing guys too. I mean, Beal and Dinwiddie both missed separate games. Uh, but you have wins against Raptors, Indy, Boston, twice Atlanta, and you have a loss to the healthy nets. So that's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Thomas Bryant, he's still out Gafford's day-to-day right now. And you still, you still haven't seen Hatchy all season. Um, and I think I mean, he's been criticized to the max extent of that anybody could have because you gave John Wall the worst contract. What was it? The $44 million. um, I mean, what is $140? Uh, God, I don't even know. It was a horrible contract, but John Wall, a guy who had just blown through literally every piece of uh, skin in his knee uh, and his leg. I mean, it was just awful. But you flipped John Wall for Russell Westbrook and you flipped Russell Westbrook for depth. And a competent basketball team, a competent basketball roster that actually makes sense for the first time in a long time, probably since that 2016 playoff run where they should have beat Boston. But you know, uh, but it's 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 amazing to think about this because I mean, Beal hasn't even been that good as of late. I mean, you know, he he kind of started to get in his groove again uh, in that Boston game, but even without him being Supernova Beal, like he's had to be. Over these past three years, I mean, obviously when the stints, when Wall was out and then Russ missed time and then Russ didn't play that well. I mean, he had to be an absolute just fireball for them to win games. And they have guys who can step up and make plays and he doesn't have to take the brute of the scoring. I mean, D.C. has been stuck in mediocrity for just the longest time. And they actually look like a competent basketball team now, which is something you don't see all that often. I mean, Wes Unseld Jr., he's a great defensive coach. I mean, that's why they brought him in. He was awesome for the Nuggets. I mean, he made sense. I mean, you have guys like Gary Harris and Will Barton and, you know, Jokic, obviously not a great defender, but like you got the most out of him. And that's what Wes Unseld Jr. brings a team who has been a lead at offense for the past several years. Their problem was never offense. It was always defense. And it He's made them a competent defensive team. I mean, th- this is what I like about it. You have roster depth now. And what you're doing is you're outperforming your talent that you have accrued. You have Kuzma, I mean, who's averaging 13 rebounds per game. And I mean, you know, when the Lakers, you know, they made all their offseason moves uh, when they acquired Anthony Davis and they were like, hey, Danny Green's going to be our third guy. Um, Danny Green really couldn't be that third guy for them. It, I mean, it kind of... be became it's either going to fall on the shoulders of green or kuzma and i mean kuzma has really stepped up and he's flourished in this role i mean i don't know if it's maybe that less of the spotlight is on him now but he seems to be a really competent player aaron holiday i've always liked i mean this is a five-team trade so there's a lot going on you get the pick you get the uh isaiah todd pick uh i mean another guy we can talk about is montrez harrell is on he's thriving in this role i mean he has been Awesome. I mean, he nineteen point three points per game, ten point two rebounds, and he's at at the basket. He's converting right at the basket seventy four point four percent of his looks. That's what he's converting on per cleaning the glass. So, I mean, he's a guy. I love Harrell uh, just in the sense that he's an energy guy. Uh, you know, sometimes energy guys can be a bit much. They can kind of get a little annoying. They can get in your face a little bit. Um, is the fan of the team. And then, um, but he brings it every night and um, he he really has, uh, I don't know, this DC culture. I mean, it looks awesome. So, I, I mean, we know what Harrell is when the playoffs come. We know that he's an undersized big that isn't super effective and can kind of get played off the floor but he's going to carry this Wizards team for certain stretches. And uh, I mean, he kind of has to right now. I mean, when you look at the roster, I mean, you know, obviously you have Thomas Bryan is still out, but, um, Daniel Gafford's day to day right now. But I mean, when you look at the center rotation, I mean, he's the only center we have right now and, uh, Washington rather, but, uh, you know, Kuzma has to play some small ball five when Harrell's resting. So I think Harrell looks awesome. I mean, he, he was underutilized in his role in L.A. I think we can all agree with that, um, but the Lakers, rather. I mean, he was on the Clippers for the longest time, but, you know, and uh, Bertans, uh this has kind of been the Berton story for the past however many years since he got his contract. I mean, he got five years for $80 million, but but uh, he's been a corpse of himself. He has not seemed to fa- – to find his rhythm on offense yet, uh, which is the one thing he really needs to do, is he gets shredded every time a competent offensive player puts him in a pick and roll. But you know, I mean, if he can make a couple threes, that's fine, I guess. He, it seems like they're just going to have to wait out this contract, or Sam Presti may just take it on, uh, which he seems to do with a lot of these now. But uh, yeah, I mean. I think a lot of it is also dependent on, as the season goes on, you know, maybe they're just hot out of the gate to start. I mean, they haven't beaten an elite team, but they haven't lost to a bad team and they haven't, I mean, they've won all their games that, so besides, you know, obviously Brooklyn, but I think a lot of this is dependent upon, can a guy like Hachimura or Adia take a leap and it, when it, and like elevate this team to the next level and. I'd also love to see Kispert get a couple more minutes. He uh, doesn't really play all that much. I know he's not the biggest guy on defense, but he's not going to get picked on like Bertans would. So that's my thing. But, I mean, I, I think uh, what a lot of Wizards fans are more scared about than anything else is um, where does this go if the Wizards win 45 games and uh, Beal just signs the extension? I mean, is that something that Wizards fans can just enjoy? Is it? I think that there's a good chance it could be. Um, yeah, I mean, if Beal signs the extension, I think that's what Washington fans want, right? Uh, because, I mean, you know, there's no player on this team besides Beal, obviously, but you want to retain Beal and get a star level player to play next to him. But you have this Robster death that you can flip for something, but. As of now, they're a competent team. I mean, Dinwiddie, I think people really forget how special he is. I mean, he came back from that injury and I mean he's looked he's looked awesome. Uh and you got you literally got Russ for about eight like competent basketball players, seven bas competent basketball players that are gonna be in the rotation for you for this whole season and you have a lot of depth now, which is important in the third year of this COVID abbreviate short abbreviated season where injuries seem to be more prevalent. uh there's more guys sitting out uh, doing uh, load management, so yeah, i I think just enjoy it for now, wizards fans, because uh it's been a long uh, long haul of mediocrity, so yeah, so I think I had uh some hesitations about this team coming into the season. Uh, they weren't as much about the playoffs as they were the regular season, so. Uh, I think a lot of the reason I had reservations about them was because they're an old team uh, Jimmy Bam, not Bam is young compared to everyone else but Jimmy Kyle, PJ um, all these guys who are gonna be uh, dwayne Deadman, all these guys who are gonna be in the core rotation of your playoff minutes uh, they're they're old um, and I think a lot of us expected a lot of load management but I think some of us, including me also forgot that, uh, these are guys who are going to be in your face and say, Hey, like, I don't care if we're on the second night of a back-to-back in Charlotte, I'm still playing or whatever Detroit. Um, so they're for real. I mean, Jimmy Butler is on some MVP stuff right now. And I don't say that lightly because, uh, Jimmy, I mean, I, I, I've never been a huge fan of the antics that were pulled in Minnesota, even Philadelphia, kind of the response he had to that. Um, you know, so, I i mean, you know, I love that he's thriving in Miami, but I've never, I mean, the Rachel Nichols thing, when you bring it, him in uh, to, you maybe bring her into the Minnesota facility and then you throw a temper tantrum on the court just because you know the ESPN crew is going to be there. I mean, that's not something that I really love, but, Anyways, um, he looks like an MVP early. Um, he's passing open these wide open layups. He gives them to the teammates, uh, you know, Butler and Lowry. I mean, they're just like, I'm not going to rest on the end of this back to back. I mean, they're fourth in offense right now, they're first in defense by a ludicrous margin. I mean, they're outscoring teams by 16 and a half points per 100 possessions. They have wins against Milwaukee, Orlando, Brooklyn, Charlotte, Memphis. You know, they caught Chris Duarte on a night when he went ballistic. So they're 5-1 and one right now with obviously a loss to Indiana. But um, we're going to see the real Miami uh, – we're going to see them battle test over the next two weeks. So uh, over the next two weeks, they have at Dallas, they come back home, play Boston, Utah, and then they go on a four-game road trip at Denver – at Los Angeles Lakers, at Los Angeles Clippers, at Utah Jazz. So they're in for it. They're in for a true test of what they are. Uh, we're gonna see a lot of, uh, just we're gonna see what the Heat really look like over the next couple weeks. But they're starting five, I mean, they're outscoring teams by 13 points per 100 possessions. So Jimmy, Bam, Duncan, uh, PJ, uh, kyle i mean and kyle kyle i mean he was a great addition to this team and i think i even underrated what he was at the beginning of this season too because i asked i'm just going to fess up in a minute i asked how much better is kyle lowry than goran Dragic at this point in his career and the answer is he's he's a lot better because uh he just is i mean he's a dog he has grit and he really plays every game with determination uh their defense is freaking awesome they're just much better than they thought. I thought they'd be in the regular season. I mean, Jimmy is averaging 26, seven and six. Um, He just is doing everything right. I mean, he's getting these O rebounds and he's putting them back up and he's just, I mean, he just looks bigger than everyone. I mean, he just, I think he's also a guy that kind of, I don't want to say benefits from the officiating changes this year because, you know, I think by the end of the season, we're gonna be back to Harden and Trey getting there. Dumb BS crab dribble calls, but whatever. Jimmy is a guy who, no matter what, I mean, he doesn't like uh, kind of deliberate or kind of exaggerate what uh, the contact was. He kind of he's forthright about it, um, and he he doesn't BS his way around it. And so, you know, he he's looked good, and uh, I mean, he. He's really been able to score the ball, just an elite clip. I think Bam is going to take another leap this season. He's going to have to, just with all the competition uh, of big men that he's going to have to face up against in the playoffs from the likes of Embiid to Giannis to Durant. So, uh, I mean, Hero, he's been, he's the sixth man of the year at this point. He's just been outstanding. Uh, I think the Heat, they said that coming in the season, that Tyler Hero is going to be on one. Uh, and it, here we are now. Uh, he is indeed on one. Um, so they just play smart, sound and tough basketball, you know? I mean, you know, Lowry, he's taking charges again, uh, as he does, uh, never been a huge fan of that, but you know, I mean, you do what you can to get a call to go your way. So, I mean, this team just, they have grit to them and they, they like playing with each other. You can just tell that they like playing with, I mean, PJ went on old man in the three a couple days ago. I mean, that was a great, great listen. So. Uh, I would definitely recommend listening to JJ's pod, but you know, they they've looked awesome. I mean, the best, the worst part about it is, I mean, the best part about it is Duncan Robinson and Max Strauss. They haven't even been that good. I mean, and those are guys that, I mean, they're five and one and their best shooters haven't even been that good. Like that tells you a lot about the team. And I mean, they're just a team that, you know, they may not be in the same breath as Milwaukee or Brooklyn, but they're right there with them because that defense is going to give some teams, some serious fits come playoff time. Like it's going to, it's really going to take an effect. It's going to take a toll playing a five, six, seven game series against those guys. If you're a Milwaukee or you're a Brooklyn, because they're dogs, man, they're dogs and they're really going to give everything they got to just on any given night. So we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna to get to some Evan Mobley talk. So Jaron Jackson Jr. versus Evan Mobley. So I think I'm gonna be a little more Mobley heavy here, but I'm gonna mention Jaron at the end. But um so right now, um the Evan Mobley pick looks outstanding for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um he leads the league in contested shots right now. A week ago it was seventy I I d don't have the updated numbers as of yet, but I'm sure it's gone up substantially since then. Maybe like I don't know. He's probably up to 90 somewhere now, but I mean, he's just he's so good. I mean, he I mean, I think a lot of people thought, "Hey, like you know, he's a lot of raw talent. Um I think he'll take some time to kind of come in in the NBA, but um I mean, he's just translated immediately. It's, it's been such a smooth like integration, and you know he's not pressured to develop like a guy like Wiseman was. Now, however, I think Mobley would be a far better fit on this Warriors team. That that's something to think about. Just like Wiseman and Mo versus Mobley, but anyways, I mean, he's just he fits so well, and they've got they've got this just outrageous frontcourt of Markinen who has looked awesome by all regards, Jared Allen, who I think nobody has a bad thing to say about him, and Kevin Love, who he entered health and safety protocols, but he, he's actually been solid. And surprisingly, like I, I think which that's a very big shock to all of us that Kevin Love has been good for the first time in five years. But I mean, there hasn't been a guy whose game has just translated like this and just slid right into a lineup like Anthony Davis. And I think, I think most of us thought, hey, like his game, it'll, it'll get there. Like it may take a year or two, but I mean, it's, it's going to be a pretty fast progression. But I don't think anybody thought it would be right now that he'd have such an immediate impact. And, uh, I mean, the, the, scariest part about all this is I mean his his game is more complete than I think Anthony Davis's was at the time of his entry into the league and you know he has a more fluid shot than Davis he doesn't lean back on the jumpers like AD does I mean he can pull these bigs out or like anybody out to 18 feet and then he's either going to attack the lane or he has a stride like nobody can contest him or he's just going to pull up from three and he's going to cash out because he's that talented of a player and I mean, he can close out on shooters on defense. He can protect the rim. I mean, he's they're running him at the top of a 3-2 zone, which is really interesting. But I really like to see that so far. I mean, you have no struggle for offensive production when you have guys like Garland, you have guys like Sexton. Uh, and then, you know, you obviously have these older veterans that you can rely on. You have Ricky Rubio, who's been really solid for the Cavaliers. You can't, that's a good pickup for them. And I mean, it's, it's astounding what this pick looks like. Uh, I mean, he... Right now, he is an all-NBA caliber defensive talent. Will they give it to him? Probably not. Will his numbers regress? There's a good chance that they do. But when you're far and away like leading the league in these contested shots and you're altering shots and you're blocking the heck out of everyone's ball, I mean, that's something special. And even it's not just him on the Cavaliers is making a big effect. I mean, Jared Allen, he's in 11th place with contested shots. Mobley has 60% more contested shots than Jared Allen does. But it, it's ridiculous what this kid is doing for his age. I mean, we saw him. I mean, we, we saw these flashes throughout the year. I mean, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think a lot of us watched uh, some, any lots of Pac-12 matchups during the tournament season. But Uh, We did watch the NCAA tournament where, you know, he put on a heck of a show against Kansas as they were the lower seed. They were the sixth seed. Kansas was a three seed. And then they just absolutely blasted the doors off Oregon and they made them look like a 16 seed. And, you know, and then they obviously lost to the Gonzaga who has, uh, what, four NBA players on their roster. Uh, So – nothing to hang it that on, but I mean, he put on a show during the tournament and I think his draft stock, I mean, right now, I mean, I think there's a good argument that he should have gone number one, but I know it's early and I know, I know overreactions are big, but man, he just looks so good. So early. And, uh, I guess I just want to cover some Jaron Jackson stuff real quickly. So i just kind of digging around, looking at some numbers today. And I just, kind of wanted to pose the question to people is during like a drop center or is he a real center because i'm starting to question the whole like valanchunas thing like yeah i know it was to move up in the draft that you accrue more draft capital and you get the zaire williams pick and you get you don't have to extend valanchunas like the pelicans have had to but valanchunas was a really good player and he protected uh steven or he protected jaron jackson really well i know jaron jackson wasn't really able to play at all last season up until the home stretch and then the playoffs but i mean right now jaron is shooting 27 percent from three 30 from the field goal and he's only averaging 12.7 points per game 5.2 rebounds per game it's early but it's a pretty abysmal start for jaron but i i like the stephen adams thing i mean you know kind of the same type of thing as Valanchunas is. I mean, Valanchunas is a little more offensively proficient, but I mean, he just hasn't played as much center as I'd like to see him to. And if we're still going to be worried about Jaron getting injured, then I mean, there's an argument that you move off of Jaron. You, you invest more stock into Dylan Brooks. You invest more stock into Desmond Bain. I'm not saying you should move off of Jaron right now, but I think there's real concerns. We've seen a lot of health concerns. I mean, he takes way too many threes. I know he can make them, but I mean, he could be a dominant force down low. And that's why I think it's so interesting to have this little Mobley comp with him. But I mean, even on defense, Jaron hasn't been that great. I mean, he just, he's so, he's has a bad tendency just to foul so much. And it, he needs to cut down on the fouling. I mean, he'll just clobber guys and he'll expect to not get called for it. But I mean, yeah, I, I yeah, that's, that's all I have on Jaron, but yeah. Anyways, I've been super enthralled with this NBA season so far. I've been really invested in a lot of things going on. Um, I know there's a lot of teams I didn't get to cover, but we'll definitely get uh, some more of the Utah's of the world next week. Um, but yeah, uh, there's a, a lot of great games this week. Actually, I was just going through, uh, so we got Miami at Dallas tomorrow night, Atlanta at Brooklyn, Wednesday night, uh, Denver at Memphis, Wednesday night, Charlotte at Golden state. Uh, that is also Wednesday night. And then Utah at Atlanta, Thursday night, New York at Milwaukee, Friday night, Utah at Miami, uh, the sixth. Then we have Atlanta at Phoenix on the sixth, which I think is going to be a fascinating matchup. Just, uh, Trey young going into Phoenix. I want to see, I want to see the, I want to see the villain in Phoenix. I want to see what that looks like Chris versus Trey. So yeah, we got a great week of NBA basketball ahead. I'm um, really looking forward to it. Hope everyone has a great week and I hope uh, that everyone enjoys this, uh, this week of NBA basketball and, uh, yeah, I'll see you next Monday. Have a good one.